Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Jesus says, open your eyes. The, the fields are ripe for the harvest. And you know how people make broad sweeping statements? We've seen a few of them in the current US presidential election. We just get to a point with people to make sweeping statements that you've found there's just a level, there's a level now where we just go, ah. Now, you can treat some of Jesus' sweeping statements in that way, other than the fact that sociologically and historically, uh, this is a fascinating passage. Because Jesus says the fields are ripe for the harvest a couple of thousand years ago. The Washington Post in their data analysis of the religions of the world, estimate that there is something like 2.1 billion Christians throughout the world today. So here's the statement. Jesus says that to 12 of his disciples. Open your eyes and here you and I sit today as part of 2.1 billion followers. I think this is a little bit more than a sweeping statement, right? And that is a fascinating passage and dynamic to look at, particularly if this morning you're just looking in on Christianity. You haven't worked Jesus out yet. You're trying to work out the faith, what this means. Now, have you ever considered how this happened? Was it, was it supernatural? Did, did, was it just a big miracle that it all happened that way? Was it a radically intellectual idea that sparked through the countryside. You know, there was a guy called Rodney Stark in his book, The Rise of Christianity, that said within a hundred years, these followers of Jesus were running into the plagues in Rome in order to rescue people, not at the risk of their life, but the cost of their life. Christianity exploded through the countryside. What made Christians like that? It's a bit like this. Uh, there, there, are, there, are these, there are these plastic blocks that are the bane of every parent's existence. In fact, they could have caused trips to the hospital because they lie around the house. It's known as Lego, sharp pieces. And, and, and often I find it amazing. You've seen those, those Lego sculptures that they have where someone's built like uh, the entire Eiffel Tower. I'm thinking, why, why, why don't most of my cousin's lounge rooms represent those incredible uh, models that they've made out of this Lego? Well, why are they still just bricks on the floor? It's the same stuff, it's the same bricks, but it doesn't look like that. <laughs> you know, there's a dynamic by which you can have exactly the same ingredients, exactly the same building blocks, and you don't achieve the same result because you're not working by the same strategy. Here's, here's the question. Why is it that when we look around at Christianity around the world, why, why, why is it that, that on one hand, some churches seem dead, some Christians, dare I say it, seem dead and lifeless and nothing's happening in their life? And you go to other parts of the world like South America and Christianity is exploding. It's as alive and as dynamic as back then. Why is that? Because what we've learned this series is that you and I, these Christians... We have exactly the same Lego blocks of our faith. That's what we've been learning for the last weeks. The six core habits of Jesus in his engine room. Holy Spirit dependence. Prayer. Jesus was often withdrawing to pray. He was obedient to a kingdom agenda. Lord, what are you up to today and how can I be a part of it? He worked out the word. He heard it, read it, studied it, meditated upon it. He elevated the Father as M taught us last week. He lived a life that caused people to just 
look at God. Why, why are these Christians different to these ones over here where it's just exploding? Can I put it to you this morning? It's because that type of Christian hasn't got this final habit in the life of Jesus. What is that habit? Jesus habitually related to people that were different from him. More, more specifically, related to people that didn't know the truth about God. You could say that about the religious people that he related to. They knew God, but they didn't know God the way that Jesus knew God. How did he build a movement from four people to 12 people to 2.1 billion today? He habitually related to others. Question, is there anyone here who doesn't want to see their grandkid or their son or their daughter or their friend, or their family member, or their mother or father, or their co-worker, come to a life-changing reality of God through Jesus Christ? Just raise your hand. I didn't, I didn't think so. When Jesus says, lift up your eyes, the fields are ripe for the harvest, here's a question we've been asking ourselves as a church. Here's the reality for us. Many of us want to reap a harvest. That's a given. No one put their hand up. If you did, I'll pray for you after the service. <laughs> Come on, guys. All of us want to reap a harvest if we follow Jesus. But the problem is we don't know how to sow. Sowing and reaping, says Jesus, was my habit. Let me give you some context here. He's encountered the Samaritan woman. We've preached this passage. Must be three times in the last 18 months, right? You're a cluey bunch. Some people there have, have the little gold stars in terms of what passages we've covered. We've preached it three times for a very good reason. This is the, what I believe God is calling us to do in this season as a church. We're going to come back to it again. It's going to be ingrained in us. He meets with the Samaritan woman. And as he's talking to her, the disciples have gone into the town in Samaria to go buy some groceries. They come back with the Woolworths and they're chomping on some lamingtons. And they said, Jesus, do you want some food? And he says, I don't need that stuff. My food, says Jesus, right, in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What Jesus is saying is that the main thing that keeps me going, the core habit of mine, is to habitually sow seeds of God into other people's lives, to intentionally relate to people who don't know the truth about God. Sowing and reaping, sowing, pointing people to God, reaping, calling them to place their faith in him. Now, what Jesus is saying is that if you're one of my followers this morning, you should be doing this habitually. Now, remember, a habit is like prayer. It's, it's the offens in your life. A habit is the things that, that you don't know that you're doing, but everyone else does know that you're doing. I'm habitually picking my fingers and Kristen is habitually elbowing me. When I do that whilst we watch the TV. The, the question is, is relating to people who are different from you, particularly the unchurched, those who yet to receive Jesus Christ, is that something that you do without thinking? Jesus says, if you're one of my followers, this is what you should be doing. And, and here's why this is so important. You know, I know. But I want to make it clear to us this morning. You know, you could be the only Christian in someone's life. What are you doing with that? 
Not just habitually. First step is to be intentional with that. Now, of course, I, I'm pushing against some people who are, who are thinking, look, this is the thing I've got with you Christians. You always want to evangelize. You always want to share. Look, the reality is Christianity is inherently a sharing faith. Everyone who has a truth that they believe is going to benefit a friend or someone they love, you're going to share it. I've said it before. Look, you look at, look at mums whenever they discover that Huggies have got $6 off at Woolworths. That is good news, right, mums? <laughs> It's on Twitter, it's on Facebook, it's via text message. You share. Any truth that you think will benefit someone you love, you will share. And that's why Christians should be doing this habitually. It's important too if you're looking into Christianity. Look, I hope that you're not looking into Christianity and you want a part of it just because, I don't know, you think it's going to be helpful or, or inspirational or, or that it's going to make you feel good. This is truth. This is, tr- this is good news truth. So we need to be relating to others like that. Robert Coleman, who wrote the Master Plan for Evangelism, said the greatest miracle, and here's part of the answer to what we said this morning, the greatest miracle that Jesus performed is he birthed this movement relationally. It means not that it was a good idea or supernatural zap that made Christianity explode. He did it where people like you and I can do this. And that's how Christianity continues to spread. So the question is, how do we do that then? We all want to reap a harvest, right? How do we sow? We sow through a process we call eternal CPR. Quite appropriate. We're bringing, I always say Jesus, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And so we practice eternal CPR, cultivating, planting, and reaping. Here's the first one, cultivating intentional relationships with the lost. Here we see in John 4 in in verse 22, Jesus says, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now, what is Jesus modeling here? Here's the important thing I want us to get. We've talked about it all the time. The lost are not lost causes. The the lost are not bad people. The lost, like this woman who was seeking Jesus at the well, are the people who are yet to come into a reality of who Jesus is. He says, you you don't know what you're worshipping. I'm here to show you that. So Jesus comes in and he cultivates a relationship. Cultivating, what does that mean? It's springtime. Many of you, right, would be out there. Uh, putting, putting the funny big metal spike roller through your lawns. Actually, probably not the world's best analogy. We, li- we live on the lower North Shore, so we all live in apartment and shoeboxes, most of us. And, but you get the picture, right? <laughs> Cultivating. You see the farmers there. They're in there with tractors and metal devices, breaking up the ground first before the seeds can be sown. What we're saying here is that the way that before you even sow, you need to intentionally cultivate relationships with those that don't yet know Jesus. Now, cultivating, what does that mean? Cultivating is, is, to, is to break up the hard ground that exists between you and someone else. It, it means, and when we see Jesus here and we see what he's doing, is to cross the spheres of your life so that they overlap together. And here's what I mean by this. Look at what Jesus is doing. Some context here. He's speaking to a Samaritan. The Samaritans were so hated by the Jews that if 
just the shadow of a Samaritan crossed over you as a Jew, you would have to ceremonially go and wash yourself. <laughs> so it's not just a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is crossing the, the inevitable social spheres that exist in the world. There was a sphere between the Jews and there was a sphere over here that was a Samaritan. The, t- the two never crossed. The barriers in that is the hard ground that you need to cultivate. Hey, think about this. You have a number of spheres in your life. You've got a work sphere and you've got a family sphere. You've got a church sphere. We're all here in it this morning. You've got a friend's sphere. Now, question for you. What if I said to you right now, go out and go, go and invite that person from work and bring them straight in here? How do you feel? People start to wriggle. <laughs> Why? Because it's hard. It's difficult. Think of it another way. Let's say that you've, you've got your neighbourhood sphere over here, all the people in your, the apartment building that you, that you live in, and, and we say, we'll invite them down into your friend's sphere. How does that feel? Do we do that naturally? No. It's, it's hard ground. It's, it's, we, we exist in these spheres in such a way that we, we don't cross the two. The two don't overlap. We have our own little places that we do our thing. What Jesus is modelling is that the way that you cultivate is that you intentionally move through those spheres and, and move out to... To engage people, not only in a different sphere, but to cross them over. Is that making sense? But that's hard work. You've, you've, got to tell, you've got to be intentional about that. You've got to be prayerful about that. You've got to be bold about that to do that. But that's what it means to cultivate a relationship. Practically, it could mean inviting a friend to a social event that you've got, whether it be pinball players or the young adults having a game of barefoot bowls. That's why these things exist in church. We want spheres in which you can... Invite your friends into and cross over. That is cultivating relationships with the lost. So here's the other point too before we move on to planting. Here's what I want you to think about now. Here's a good indicator as to how you do this as well. My question for you is how many intentional relationships do you have with people outside of the church? Because one of the great challenges of a church that's healthy in community is... We have all our friends here. We've, we've done life together for 15 years and we, ha- we have our, our little circle and, and all our friends are here. You know, that's like taking the two six-pronged Lego blocks and you just, you just pop it right over the top of each other so the whole sides all line up and they match really well. And that there's no room to build anything else on top of it. <laughs> there's no way to connect in and around the side. How many relationships are you intentionally building with those outside of the church or Christianity? Cultivating, often the hardest bit. Here's the second one, planting. Planting God into those relationships. Planting, like biological planting, is planting the right seed at the right time, at the right depth. You wouldn't, for example, go plant palm trees in Melbourne in the middle of winter. Now, how this works for those relationships that you are building is, you know what it's like with a friend that doesn't really want to grapple with Christianity? First question is, what season of their life are they in? Now, how, how horrible is it when, when someone is right in a period of grief and they just need a listening ear and you get some bozo Christian trying to share the gospel with them or tell them that, the, that, the, that, the, that this has happened in their life because there must be some sort of sin in their life? Ah. Oh. 
Oh, I'm so thankful God is a sovereign God, right? <laughs> it is half supernatural, this whole process. But we've been there, right? You've heard experiences like that. What season is that friend or family member or the person that you're trying to intentionally sow the seed within? Sow truth at the right depth. You're not going to get into the ins and outs of consubstantiation with, with a friend who has heard nothing about Jesus for the first time. It's the right seed at the right depth. The right season, the right depth, and it's the right place as well. And we're going to talk about that in a second. How do you get good at that? All the crew from Evangelism Shift, and we're all scattered throughout the auditorium this morning. We're learning that, aren't we? Through a lot of trial and error, a lot of stuff-ups, a lot of prayer, a lot of trusting God, a lot of attempts, a lot of role-playing as we've been doing in Evangelism Shift. But we all want to reap a harvest. We have to learn how to sow. Cultivating relationships with the lost, planting God into those relationships. Here's the last one, reaping together by presenting the gospel. And here's the thrust of the whole passage today in verse 37 of John chapter 4. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true, says Jesus. I have sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. To reap a harvest of salvation, that means of people coming to Jesus Together, And I say together because more often than not, winning someone to Jesus has to be a corporate process. You think about it. If you have someone who is a stellar individual, someone who is just the holiest of holy people, and a, and a, and a, good, and a good person, a great Christian, people like that, what are they like when you meet them? They're, they make you feel awkward. They're just so beautiful. They're so radiant. And I just I can't be like that. I've got stuff to deal with. But on the other hand, a, a, a whole community, a whole community that's diverse, that's full of young and old and different ethnicities and people that struggle and wrestle and process and push with each other but love each, love each other at the end of the day, that's, that's beautiful, that's attractive. And when you invite your friends or that person from your spheres into a place that is like that, that often is when the gospel is the most powerful. Because how often have I said to you guys, that part of my job is to prove that Christianity is true. Your job, church, is to prove that it works. People want both credibility and plausibility of the gospel, and you don't get that individually. You have to have a community that is living this out and dynamic and growing and working all of these things out. And that is why we constantly say in this place, the quality of our community then will be the secret to our mission because we will reap a harvest together. Man, I can tell, I can tell you the amount of conversations in the past couple of years that I've had with friends of Northsiders who've brought them along to Christianity Explained and they've hung out in services with us and then some have given their life to Christ. Some sit here in this auditorium this morning that are that, are that example because they say things like this, there's a spirit in this place that just makes me feel uplifted when I leave here. I, church, never felt, I, I, church never felt like this for me. I didn't know church could look like this. <laughs> See how it works? Not just an individual, but a corporate process. And that's why we need to be cultivating, planting, reaping a harvest together. Okay, so as we finish this morning then, if it's that simple, Sam, um, why, why isn't everyone doing it? I've got to come clean with you. 
I've been a bit cheeky. This whole series has been an acronym. I know, I went there. It's been an acronym. And here it is. It's like the six habits of highly effective Christians. Right? The six core habits of Jesus was how he displayed in his life Holy Spirit power. That's how I could remember it every sermon. You thought I was amazing. I was just remembering an acronym. (laughs) Holy Spirit defendants, prayer, obedience to a kingdom agenda, the word of God, he elevated the Father and he related intentionally. Now, why have we done this? Church, what if this became the six marks of a healthy Northsider? What if these became the benchmark by which in our connection groups, in the foyer on a Sunday, in a phone call, in our friendships with one another, we simply asked each other, how's your Holy Spirit power going? There might be things that you need to work on. There might be things that you need to work through. And it's going to take time because, by the way, you know, when Jesus modelled all of this, we have just been... We've just been overlaying these things into the life of Jesus. You will find these things all throughout the Gospels in his life. But the fascinating thing, why doesn't it happen all the time and all around the world? It's because these things are a habit. And last time I checked a habit, they take, what, 31 days at least of regular repetition to do? There's six of them over 31 days. That's a lot of days. (laughs) And more importantly, if you go and read the Gospels, do you know it took Jesus three days? years to eventually just see the base level with these guys. You know, for the first 18 months of his ministry, he did nothing but model these principles to his disciples. No super big miracles, no, none of the big stuff that you read as we get towards Easter. 18 months was just hanging in a backwater town called Nazareth, learning how to do Holy Spirit power. Why? Because Jesus knew that if he could model these habits to his, to his followers and he could relate intentionally and tell them to do the same, they would carry with them a dynamic that would change the world. How's your Holy Spirit power? How's your Holy Spirit power? That's going to be the question going on amongst Northsiders right throughout Sydney this week and hopefully for the next six months, 12 months, three years as a church. This becomes our mark by which we know whether or not we are being healthy individually and as a church, I told you I was being cheeky. Uh, why doesn't it happen? Why doesn't this happen also? I think finally it's this question that people go, well, will it work for me? How do I know it's going to work for me? <laughs> uh, that, that's, a bit, that's, a bit like a, that's a bit like a six-year-old that's obsessed with these muddy puddles and someone comes and says to him, do you want to go and see the ocean? And the six-year-old says, well, can, will there still be muddy puddles? <laughs> the parent says, well... Yeah, but an ocean's so much better. It's a heck of a lot cleaner. And a little kid says, well, I don't know. Can I, can I still play in mud? Will I still be able to get dirty? Like, what do you do with a kid that is obsessed with staying like that? Like, it's just, you know, the dynamic here is just the sheer lack of imagination kills the whole concept, doesn't it? And all you can say to them is, well, look, just, just, just come and see. Come and see and then make up your mind. Look, I love, I love... This part of John chapter 1 where Jesus met the first four disciples when he started this process and he related intentionally and there was a sarcastic, pessimistic guy that represents most Christians and non-Christians. His name was Nathaniel. He was the one who said, oh, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Jesus comes up to him and says, here's an Israelite in which 
There is no falsehood. And, and Nathaniel's amazed. He says, he says oh, okay, hang on. sorry, sorry. You must be the Messiah. And I love the way that Jesus responds to him yet. He says this in here. He says, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Very, I truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What I love about that is Nathaniel comes in with his skepticism as, can you deliver on your promise, Jesus? And his response to him is, son, you ain't seen nothing yet. Do, do we... Is that how we relate to Jesus most Sundays? Oh, yeah, I hear. Fields are ripe for the harvest. How do I know it's going to work for me? I mean, I had a spiritual experience of you, and, and I believe you, you're the Messiah. Jesus says to you this morning, you have seen nothing yet. Whether you, whether you were 15, 25, 55, 75... I've got two key questions for you this morning from Jesus, if he related intentionally. First one is this, that you need to be asking yourself, who has God placed around me? Who has God put in my context? Who has God put in my world? But the second question is this, is who is God leading to pour my life into relationally? Because what we see from this story and these habits that seem so mundane and they seem like some good spiritual practices to do, for Jesus they were so much more than that. The beauty was after two and a half years, four disciples filled Jerusalem with the gospel, Acts Acts chapter 5. Four and a half years after that, Acts chapter 9, they're literally multiplying churches. 18 years after that in Acts 17, they're turning the world upside down. 28 years after that. It's spreading out through to Rome. And all of this was done relationally. Jesus made disciples who made disciples who made disciples who made disciples. And the miracle of it all is that it was done relationally. He did it in three years. God's hopefully giving you at least that, whatever stage of your life. For some of the younger crew down here have been at Drastic, he's probably given you about 40, (laughs) at least. What can we do that? If we choose simply to walk as Jesus walked in his Holy Spirit power. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.